the networks make the rules. And if you want to play on their networks, you got to follow them. There's really not much you can do. So the issuers don't really have a lot of choice in this matter. And it's the networks that are finally starting to tip the scales in those merchants' favor. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antuano with Currency Cloud. And today I'm happy to have the co-founder of Pay, Yitz Mendowitz. Yitz, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you on today. Um, you know, we just uh, had a, a brief discussion about what you've been doing over at Pay over the last uh, few years, uh, co-founded in uh, 2011, but launched to market um, in 2017. Uh, Yitz, if you could, for our listeners, give a, a brief background about yourself and then how you came up with uh, creating it. Pay. Yeah, sure. So my background was not in payment. I both seriously and jokingly say if I knew what I was getting into before I got into it, I never would have done it. But at the same time, if I never, if I didn't know what I was getting into, I wouldn't have done it. So I was looking to solve um, a pain point that I was having, which was friction at checkout. I like when you walked into a store, you swiped your credit card, you signed and you were done. But I love shopping online. But that experience was into your credit card information, your shipping address, your billing address. It was, it was a very clunky experience. I, I probably have at this point now 200 plus different log, username and passwords for you know, so many different websites. And for me, that was the pain point I was looking to solve. So at that point, what I was looking to do was create a solution that could allow me to check out um, in 30 seconds or less and actually be more secure than swiping a credit card. And the basic idea that we had was we had an app on your phone where you stored your credit cards and shipping addresses. And what we did was we built a plugin for the shopping carts. And all you did was throw in your phone number. It would then send a push notification to your mobile phone. And then from there was your default shipping and, and credit card. You tap the button, change it, merchant information, transaction details. And when you were happy, it was typing in a pin code and you were done. And it was actually more secure and simple. And when we brought it to market, the first thing, the first response we started to get was our main pain points as a merchants and processors are not friction. For us, our biggest problem is these are all card not present transactions in the e-commerce world. And we're liable for fraud. So they said, if you can solve a solution that way, then it makes it more of a compelling product. And I started learning a little bit more about um, the whole card present, card not present. It was also the first time I heard about friendly fraud and what that entailed. And eventually, um, what was originally supposed to be a feature in that in that product, um, we we ended up pivoting and creating it as a standalone product. And that's that's where we are now. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's been an evolution since the beginning, and especially when you open that door, you don't really know what you're getting into, as you mentioned, and then it becomes a little bit more interesting and specific once you once you get in there to see how much is how much is going on. Um, I guess we can start by just just chatting about the the evolution, like I mentioned, of the car not present payment. You know, traditionally moving uh, from that in store experience when there's a physical card, there's a swipe, and 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 replicating that to an experience for an individual now trying to, uh, you know, buy buy without the card being present, and for that merchant to be uh, responsible. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, how how you've seen that change? And obviously, there's been there's definitely been a spike in in the adoption uh, uh, within cards not present transactions. 
Yeah, sure. So the one thing that w- what a lot of people, it was me, especially when, when I first came into the industry, I knew nothing about was this whole card present, card not present started about, I think at this point, it's almost 60 years ago, where when the concept of a card not present in those days were either, I either didn't physically have a card or I was taking a payment over the phone. And the card networks decided that because they were inherently riskier transactions, they wanted to dissuade merchants from accepting those type of transactions. So that's where they created the rules that in a card present transactions, it's the issuing bank that's liable for fraud and it's the, and they, and merchants pay the lowest interchange rates. Card not present, it's the merchants that are uh, liable for fraud and they're paying higher interchange rates. And then you fast forward to the 90s and now there's this new type of card not present called e-commerce. And merchants also started to see this new type of fraud. I mean, I don't want to say it was new because it, it, it probably existed before, right. but it, it really started to explode with e-commerce and that's friendly fraud. And friendly fraud is anything but friendly. It literally means where I make a purchase and then claim for whatever reason later on, um, I didn't authorize it. And because people were hiding behind keyboards, it was a lot easier for them to say it wasn't me who, who made this transaction. And merchants were just saying, listen, I can't even do a card present in this environment, even if I wanted to. And, you know, fast forward 30 years later, um, and, you know, the, the card not present uh, has evolved from e-commerce to mobile voice-activated transactions, internet of things. So there's so many dis- different environments that are happening in the card not present that, that actually EMV Co. rebranded card not present to call it remote commerce. And they're creating spec docs all around remote commerce, understanding that actually over the next five years, remote commerce transactions will exceed uh, brick-and-mortar in-store transactions. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I mean, there's, it's definitely on the, on the trend upward. You did mention friendly fraud and how it would be the merchants that are liable over the CNP or conduct present transactions. Um, now, how do they combat to, I guess, fight that because they are liable and that could take up a large or a large share of, you know, their revenue and, and having to 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 fight that back. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what they do in the process of of that? Yeah. So. I- Let's say the simplest and I guess cheapest way might be literally just picking up a phone and having some sort of human interaction. That generally decreases some level um, of friendly fraud. As soon as there's a human interaction, people are just more reluctant to claim they didn't make a transaction that they actually did. Uh, But the other thing is that the networks themselves have realized with this evolution that there is a big, big problem here, that the onus is is falling on uh, on the merchants. And uh, there's a there's a, a slide I always use that you know just to sh- to show the the different um, impact that the cost over the next five years the projected cost for brick and mortar merchants for fraud um, for true fraud like people stealing credit cards or using something like that is zero dollars and that's because they don't pay for fraud so obviously there's no cost to them um, in the in the e-commerce or remote commerce world that number is actually almost a half a trillion dollars over the next five years. And that's a global number, but it's a massive, massive problem. And the only ones who really can control fraud from happening, and, and when, I, when I say fraud, I, I actually include um, friendly fraud, which makes up majority of that fraud, um, are the issuers. So the card networks realize this, and they realize like, there's not a lot that um, merchants can do. So they've created like protocols, which is now the EMV 3DS, um, which is all a frictionless experience, which allows um, issuers to determine in, in real time if it's a cardholder or not, so that if it is, you know, they're assuming the liability on those transactions. 
And eventually what the networks want is that the issuers, um, if they don't want to pay for that fraud, they should eventually start pushing back to the cardholders and say, hey, listen, yes, what do you mean this wasn't you who made this transaction? We have a, you know, we have a device fingerprint, device ID location, IP address, metadata that tells us this was you. Um, so we know this was you, you know, we're going to charge you for this, for this transaction. And that's really the only way that um, it's going to happen. But there's been a shift by the networks to put the onus for fraud off merchants onto the issuers. Gotcha. Okay. And then so how do, as far as the regulatory landscape and how that changes in, 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 in that regard, as you just mentioned, how do parties responsible stay, stay aware of that and continuous, continuously stay aware you know, of, of, of keeping a, on top of the different changes and adjustments that are being made? So, so the card brands actually started an uh, organization called EMVCO. Um, which is equally owned by the six card brands, which is Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discovered, JCB, and UnionPay. That's the organizational body that creates all the rules. And everyone you know, has to follow those rules and you know, build according to their specs and protocols. They actually have a, a website where you can stay informed and up-to-date on their most, most up-to-date technologies. And you know, they're slowly building out the, the foundation. So while we're 30 years into e-commerce, uh, the foundation on the payment side is actually first being built out now. So EMV 3DS is one. There's another thing called Secure Mo Commerce on SRC. Uh, the building specs around um, tokenization. So these are things they're constantly having updates. They send out emails. You can get on that email list. They also run, um, I think, twice a year, an EMV user meeting um, where anyone is is allowed to join and and come to those meetings where you can learn firsthand about what they're what they're doing. And do you see yourselves being, I guess, the catalysts to represent, obviously, those standards and, and portraying that to the issuers? Or do you, do you see the issuing banks obviously being, being the liable party uh, or, or shifting towards that? Do, do you see them having to be, um, I guess, at, at the forefront of, of establishing that, those requirements? Or do you, do you see more of a blended uh, partnership in that type of model? So- so it's, I think it's a blended partnership until, uh, you know, up until very recently, um, the onus for everything has been on the merchants. I mean, they pay for the rewards we, we get on our credit cards by paying higher interchange rates. Um, they're liable for fraud. And there's not a whole lot that they can do. But a lot of the larger retailers have been pushing back over the years, and the networks are finally hearing that and understanding that. And what they're doing is they're finally starting to shift the onus where it, it, I guess it's it's either equally or it's more more on the issuers. And the nice thing is that the networks make the rules. And if you want to play on their networks, you got to follow them. There's really not much you can do. So the issuers don't really have a lot of choice in this matter. And it's the networks that are finally starting to tip the scales in those merchants' favor. Gotcha. Okay, that's really that's really interesting stuff. And I mean, we're seeing that in in the same regard to just the foreign exchange that we sit in with with a shift from going from. Uh, really, the merchants to more of the issuing side of things to, I guess, paying paying the effect. And, that, and, and does it change by geography for the security between, let's say, you know, Europe and the U.S.? Is there any changes in in security or, or regulations? You know, you have GDPR, PSD two. Do you see that changing from from uh, regu- um, sorry region to region? Uh, yeah, I, I actually do. When it comes to payments, especially. The U.S. as technologically as advanced as we are as a country is a dinosaur. We're almost generally the last to adopt anything. 
but I do eventually start seeing that shift. So Europeans have always been at the forefront uh, of payments compared to the U.S. And I think PSD2 and SCA is something that will eventually become ubiquitous across across the world. While it, it is annoying and it, it's probably going to be pretty tough at the beginning for a lot of merchants, and the, the ones who are going to actually benefit the most in the PSD2 side are the large merchants, the ones who are going to get, who are going to find that the biggest challenge are the small and medium-sized merchants. But eventually, I think that shift will happen, and there will be like quick, simple way without sacrificing security for consumers to be able to check out um, and utilize uh, remote, remote commerce. And eventually, that's going to come to the U.S. And I think I think it'll be a global implementation. Yeah, you hit that on the head. I mean, I was actually just in Europe, and I don't have a. Um, I had a card, you know, at a retailer, and it didn't have the touch to pay or tap to pay. And I was trying to insert it and they looked at me like my head was gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're dinosaurs. You <laughs> asked, it's like, where do I tap? And was, no, 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 no. I need to actually take your, your card and swipe. Um, yeah. A bit, a bit different. Definitely see the change as far as that innovation goes. And a lot of that is, is due to the, to the regulatory aspect as well. Um, even if we were to, to tip the scale a bit with the with the technology, we need the the regulatory or the regulations and security to step step up right behind it as well um, to be able yeah. to write to those right to those. But I, I like to think the regulatory stuff is there by design. Card networks like the fact there's so much regulation around it and it's so difficult because the more fractured it is, the harder it is for something like what Uber did to the taxi um, industry for that to happen in the you know to the card networks. Oh, yeah, most definitely. No doubt. Uh, for you guys, as far as the shift, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you said you're going after direct to, to, to merchants or, or having the plug in. And, and I, you know, the way you said uh, your evolution as far as your company kind of transitioning to that. Now, do you see yourselves more partnering with uh, the payment service providers here comparable to the past of, of you know, partnering directly with uh, the, uh, the merchants or individual? Um, yeah, I, the way we see it is that a lot of the small and medium-sized merchants don't have the ability to determine on their own like what the right solution is, and they almost always look towards their payment service providers for guidance on that. And we understand that, and you know that we've always been we've been focusing on that um, to help us scale uh, as a company. Um, because I mean, listen, there is there there's always going to be a payment service provider um, involved. Uh, it, it's actually why I say, like, if you look at the difference between Apple Pay and Google's original version of 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 their, I think it was Google Pay, uh, it was literally the same exact product. The only difference was that Apple understood that, you know, when it comes to payments, it's not even a two-sided marketplace. It's a five-sided where you have merchants, consumers, issuers, um, acquirers, and the networks. And if you try to cut out any of these players, they'll choke any chance you have at adoption. And and Google kind of cut out the payment service providers. So none of them, anytime a merchant would ask them, oh, should I start, you know, should I, should, I, should I implement Google Pay? They're like, absolutely not. But yet with Apple Pay, you know, they, they allowed them to be what they are, which are payment service providers. And the only thing they look to replace were the physical cars themselves. So by capitalizing on that and not trying to disrupt any of those players in that ecosystem, you know, they saw significantly more adoption. Than, than than Google did. That's a really good point, especially in the payments uh, space. You know, I I came in into the payment space about maybe eight years ago, and it's just crazy how many players are involved and how many and the value that they're bringing to each of those parties. Without one, you don't get the other. 
and then they, you know, they they have that that hierarchy shift of in that partnership place where it's all intertwined uh, as well. And you know, being from the outside looking in, you don't really know what's happening, but once you dive in, you can really see that that hierarchy and and all and all and the value that all the pieces are playing in the chain. Um, and along the way, having to adjust and uh, along the revolution as well. Uh, are all key components to making uh, make, uh, to part of change, I guess, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, it was it's a pleasure to have you on. If for our listeners, for anyone that wants to get in contact with you and and, and people from your team, what's the best way to to get in contact? Uh, you can email us or go to our website and, and reach out to us. Um, we're very accessible. We love talking anything payments. Happy to answer any questions or help out in you know in any way we can. Excellent. Yeah, we'll be sure to post that uh, on the bottom of our of our episode here. Like I said, it was a pleasure to connect today. A lot of good, valuable information for our listeners. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you. I did very much so, Chris. Excellent. Take care, Yitz. Thanks. You too. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.